So what you're saying without saying it is, I need to minimize myself. I need to soften my edges. I need to be less black to make you feel more comfortable about who you are. And that's not going to happen. I'm your host, Walter Gainer II, and I would like to welcome you to Boss Locks, a show where we are redefining professionalism by proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, you're about to hear a conversation I did three years ago before I truly realized what Boss Locks would become today. In matter of fact, all I knew was that I needed to capture these conversations so that I could share it with the world one day. Now, in today's episode, my good friend Jasonica Daniel shared her journey to becoming a boss with locks. We also talked about the new black renaissance we were witnessing. She taught me how to handle racism in the workplace and about the 8,000 ways of being black. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy our show. Well, this is Walter Gaynor II. I'm here talking with Jasonica Daniel, talking boss locks. And so we're going to talk... Really a lot about yourself, what you're doing, of course, about your hair and everything. So I guess for start here, you and tell us what you currently do. I, so should I be looking at you? Look at me at the camera and sit up. Oh, I know. Um, okay, so I mostly um, work in the luxury retail sector mm-hmm. as a makeup artist for a company out of New York. Yes. Um, so most of my time is spent shifting between different accounts and stores, um, driving business driving retail sales. Um, I also do weddings here in Charleston. Charleston's the number two wedding capital of the country. And so I have a business here um, in which I go in and I make up for the bride and mother of bride, mother of groom, the entire, whoever's getting done. So uh, that's what I spend most of my time doing is makeup. How long have you been doing all that? Um, I've been doing makeup now for... 19 years. 19 years. It's veteran status. Really long time. Yeah, I love it. So I guess doing makeup, of course, you have to present yourself in a certain way. Have you ever, have you ever felt really that your hair is like maybe like points against you or you have to really excel in other areas? So no, I've no. never felt that way. Perfect. And um, the reason is when I started doing makeup, I was in Atlanta. In Atlanta is like the black mecca of the country. So there are like, uh, what I always say, there's 8,000 ways to be black, you know? Oh, yeah. Everybody's wearing, there's just so much diversity, so much intraracial diversity. And um, and so even in the luxury retail sector, um, that diversity is celebrated because our client is just as diverse. So I don't think I ever even had to think about it so much. I guess in a way it kind of helps promote you even. Yeah. Also. Exactly. Yeah, you're different. So, you know, my hair, so when I started, so I've been natural for over, over 20 years, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I'm trying to remember what my hair was like when I started doing makeup. I can't even remember what it was like when I started doing makeup. It could have had extensions. I could have had like um, a weave maybe even briefly. Um, but I was always doing if I did do like hair extensions or weave, it also was a reflection of like really natural hair, like really big hair with color in it and other braids at the front. Or... So you've always been attracted to natural hair stuff. Yeah. I, I, I mean, as soon as I f- could figure it out for myself, yeah, I definitely was attracted to natural hair. What do you mean by that? Figure it out for yourself. So, because I grew up getting a relaxer. Oh, yeah. 
So uh, my mother wore her hair relaxed, and so I never really, um, yeah, it wasn't modeled for me, gotcha. sort of this natural hair. But I was always digging into all kinds of things, in particular like high fashion. I was always into like fashion and looking at what a lot of people were doing. And so my, um, I think I stopped getting relaxed with probably at 17. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And um, like I said, I would get extensions, but I wasn't putting like chemicals. I can't remember the last time I had a relaxer. Do you remember you stopped relaxing at 17? Do you remember some of your earliest memories, like walking around in public with like, your hair, natural hair? So no, because I was, um, I had my hair braided a lot. So I had it braided extensions. I had, and then I got my first weave probably at 18 and probably did that for like, two years and then that was the end of that but um so braided extensions you know were really acceptable anyways for the length now i did go through the like feening for long hair kind of phase yeah because i came up in atlanta at a time when it was during like it was when you started seeing like tyra banks was like the number one model naomi campbell and you started seeing like um like Outcast was big, Puffy oh, yeah. and Biggie were big. Their videos had these women with this long hair. And so it, it, Foxy Brown, you know, like these rappers, like everybody had this long hair, right? Right. right. So I definitely was feeding for length for a minute. I definitely went through that phase, but it really lasted for about two years. And that was about it. Just because I was always into like making. So I always wanted to like do different things with myself anyways. I was always that way. Hmm. Um. Was that kind of like push yourself or just see uh, what happens if you try something new? Yeah, I just was like into like just doing different things with myself. So here's what I, I'll say. I do remember being in Atlanta. Um, when I first moved there, I went to fa a fashion college. And I remember wearing my natural hair cornrowed. And it was my natural hair, which was shorter probably, you know, maybe to like here. So I wore cornrows natural. And I loved it. Like, it was short cornrows, but I absolutely loved it. I was also, like, young, and, you know, I'd wear, like, strapless dress with these cornrows. Like, it was just a lot of fun, like, just experimenting with, you know, being completely natural. Mm -hmm. So then, to actually go into dreadlocks, which is just kind of a natural transition, um, what's next? Or what kind of so, um, I never really wanted locks. Oh, really? Um, like I wasn't feeding for them. In other words, I was really good with like my entire like hair story and, and experience with just like I liked trying a lot of things. Um, and then I did know at some point though, like while hair can be for black women in particular, I think it can be um, like there, like it can be a lot an adventure. Like we can do eight. We could do so many different things with our hair, right? Right, right. But um, locking, yeah, I I also had associations with locking that just, like, I, I just didn't really, like, that it meant that I was um, supernatural in every other way, and I wasn't. Um, but when I did lock, it was when I was pregnant with my second child. And so for me, I felt this very natural... Um, connection to like stopping stopping all of the experimentation I felt mm -hmm. like 
locking was like this commitment to this new place that I was in. So it really went with, um, you know, being, having conceived and, and my, her father, he started locked at the same time. So we kind of ended up doing this around the same time. Prior to that, I was wearing my hair super short. So I did go through that for sure. Like, um, I went through having a bunch of natural hair and doing all kinds of things with it and wearing it out to blowing it straight. Blowing it straight. What is that? With a blow dryer. Okay. Just blowing my hair, my natural hair straight with a blow dryer. So I had like a doobie, like a wrap that was like down to maybe here. It was like pretty long. And then one day I was tired of that work and I just literally went and got it all shaved off. Like I just went and got it all shaved off. And so um, by the time I was locking, I probably had like an inch and a half of like hair. I was just wearing my hair short for, for a couple of years. And that was incredible, actually. That's a whole different type of adventure there. It was, yeah. It's like this. I just felt like 100% undone in the right way. Like there were okay. no embellishments. There were no extensions. There was no manipulating my hair at all. It was just really just, this is how I wake up. This is how I move through my life. And I'm doing nothing else, too. And that was pretty incredible. We're taking a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Just Black. Just Black is a new Black-owned apparel company designed to uplift humanity and create opportunities for the Black community. Visit www.justblack.co and place your order today. That is www.just blk.co Thank you. Now back to our show. So there's like it's still about like it's there's nothing wrong with it because like I will straighten like even with what I have here going on like it's probably like down to here when I take it out. If I straighten it I'm going to straighten it and I'm going to curl it and it's going to be you know Beveled, I like texture. I don't want my hair necessarily to be completely straight because I don't want to get rid of that texture, that coarse-looking texture. But, you know, they yeah, they're all about the California blowout, you know, which is the hair and the hair that's ironed straight. Right. And so even if it's your hair, it's natural because it's healthier for it, but it's still like you're not wearing weave or if you are, you can't tell. Right. You know, and so... What happens with that, and this is what I found, if I can speak to it, okay. is like when I was on public transportation in Atlanta, I wrapped my head because I was young and I was pretty. I mean, I don't mean to say that in a weird way, but I was 18, 19, 20, mm -hmm. and I had this long hair. And on public transportation, every single man of every background would catcall me mm -hmm. and harass me, right? You know, honking the horn, stopping by, making comments, um, asking for my number. And so I started wrapping my head and found that like it just kept people, it just pushed them away. What do you think like, that is? Well, because I represented a particular type of fantasy, mm -hmm. right? And that's the black woman that has really long hair. And that was during the time of like the video girl, like I said, the, and we call her a video ho. Like it was like this, you know, the strip clubs are big right. in Atlanta. It's a huge industry um, where everyone looks like a model. And, but that might be that the model bit is the long hair, mm -hmm. right? And there are these beautiful women. So, so they represent. Yeah, it created a it created a barrier, a protective barrier for me until I got to where I got to, and then I like unwrapped my hair. But just the hair alone created it played into sort of fantasies of certain like depictions of black women, right? Um, as more ideal, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
see it in pornography. Like there's a certain woman, there's a certain look. And so it appealed to the fantasies of a lot of men and it made me very vulnerable. Um, at a time when I didn't have as much talk back, you know, like I, I'll clap back now more, you know, but it's not even going to happen as much as I'm 40. It's different. But when you're 20 and you're young, and you sort of represent that fantasy and men think they can have all kind of access to you. Um, yeah, it was just problematic in a lot of ways. But it gave women a certain amount of power, too. Like, black women in particular, a certain amount of power. Because people thought that, you know, black women couldn't grow hair or, you know what I mean? So, yeah. hair has so much, there, there's so many layers to it. So like going back to, um, you mentioned something earlier, kind of briefly, people in the corporate world with like either um, dreadlocks or bone rose braids, whatever it was, it's kind of interesting because I feel like now it's really, so what I've come across and now is when I'm starting to see people natural hair in the workforce. So you're saying this is kind of happened for a while, just kind of underground. Yeah, it's so. been happening. Um... So why we see more of it is because when you see someone doing it and you recognize it's okay, then people do things that they didn't think they could do, right? Mm -hmm. So we're like, um, I, people are like paving the way by being being natural in these spaces. Like let's say, even like with my company, walking in as a trainer to a store to train mm -hmm. someone and they're like, oh, she wears her hair natural. Well, that may inspire them to think, oh, I can do the same thing. She works for this company, mm -hmm. I can do the same thing. So you have that. But you also have, um, so I think I like to call it, when I was thinking about the questions earlier, clapping back, like talking back. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is, first of all, people are super aware that like, you better be careful on how you, you discriminate because mm -hmm. you can get sued now, right. right? So there's an awareness of that, but there's also what I consider a sort of self-possession Meaning when people have the audacity to do these things and, and walk in a space where they have a certain amount of power, if they're challenged, they can clap back. You know, they can talk back to that person. They can. So if someone were to ask me anything about, and it happens, I mean, I get awkward questions all the time, in particular because I work in primarily white institutions. So when you're working in primarily white spaces, white people tend to think they, they, they can ask you whatever they want. Because you're at work. And sometimes they can because you, you're at work. You have to be very careful about like how you check them. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with mostly white people, like for me, what I found is I just got really audacious. Like I would just be like a bit cynical, but I would just like say to them, yeah, what? I mean, did you, oh, did you not think that black people could grow hair? Like say stuff like that to them. Right and just, like, yeah, throw it right back to them. And then they're like, oh. you know, and I, I was just kind of like, I just have no problem doing those kinds of things. And so I think that, um, I guess I'm, I know I'm kind of rambling, but what I'm thinking is like when you're seeing people that are doing these kinds of things, that they often have a certain amount of confidence and they're willing to challenge people and they earn a certain amount of respect um, if they can check them. Right. See um, because it's about our humanity, essentially, you know? It's about our humanity. Like, I need to be able to walk in this world the way I want to walk in this world. Feeling comfortable doing so. And your idea of wanting me to do otherwise is really your way of saying I should be more like a white person. Mm -hmm. Because that's usually who you see in authority and power. So what you're saying without saying it is, I need to 
minimize myself. I need to soften my edges. I need to be less black to make you feel more comfortable about who you are. And that's mm -hmm. not going to happen. Right? So I right. think that that kind of... So, like, that's what's going to come out of my mouth if I'm talking to anyone about yeah. wearing their hair natural. If I'm, you know, you know, talking to anyone young about that who's asking me those questions, it's mm -hmm. going to be, this is how you deal with that. You know, this is what's really happening. So, you know, you know, fostering that sort of awareness around like this is what's happening to you and this is why it's not OK. And this is how you're going to challenge it directly. And that's a lot of work. Right. It's a yeah. lot of work. Sometimes you just don't want to do that work. It's easier to like fall in line. But if it somehow disrupts your sense of who you really want to be in the world and how you want to feel about yourself, mm -hmm. like this idea of like playing into performing respectability, softening your edges, minimizing yourself in size just so you're better liked, well, that's not all right because it's, you're absorbing all of this and you're not, you know, achieving authenticity, right? Which we all deserve as a part of being human. So, but having those sort of like conversations around that awareness, I think is important. Yeah. Versus like just hearing some elder, you know, black elder say, you really need to do something about that hair. Why? Right, yeah. You know, so they can say, why? Why do I need to? Why did you? You know, this is a different day and age. I'm not going to do that. What does that mean for us if we do that? You know? I think a lot of times also with elder people, uh, I guess people in general, they project their fears onto you, not really to like hurt you, because you back what they think is really helping you know, to get ahead in the workforce and everything, so you're not uh, discriminated mm -hmm. anyway. Yes. But um, kind of back to, I guess, um, when people at work, they're asking you these questions. What's like the, is there a difference? Like, some questions are acceptable, you have an answer, or it shouldn't come up at all, really. Some questions are okay. I just feel like they should do the research. Don't ask me. Mm -hmm. Like, go Google it. Right. You know, like, do the research and learn. Because I'm not the best bet to ask. Because sometimes I'm exhausted with life in general, and you ask me a question like that, it might make me snap and embarrass you. And I've embarrassed people plenty of times. Not snapped. I'm not confrontational. I'm, I mean, honestly, like, I really am not confrontational. It's not fair. I'm not that person, even though I'm kind of, you know, loud. more honest. Honest, I'm not confrontational. Yeah, authentic. Um, but yeah, questions like, oh, like, so right now I'm unlocking my hair, right? I'm taking my locks out. It's taking my, my entire life. So I have like a hundred left to do. I've probably already done a hundred. And so people don't really know it, except for they know I don't wear my hair down. I store my hair down a lot at work. So when someone says something about my hair, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm presently unlocking. It's taken a long time. Um, so they'll say, so before this, even when I used to wear my hair, my hair was very long, right? It's down in the middle of my back. People would say, oh, is that's all your hair? And I'd say, yeah, you know, black people can grow hair. And then they're like, and I do that on purpose because the assumption is that black people can't grow hair and i know that so i'm going to call out your assumption mm -hmm. because you really think that you're you really believe that you've really been taught that and you really think it's okay to ask me then just ask me if that's all my hair right. which is not okay now i'll let you know mm -hmm. if it isn't i'll say oh no i've had extensions but like i'm like yeah it's like 12 years of growth you know or 11 years of whatever and just the look on their face. It's very intentional. I want them to feel that. I want them to feel embarrassed. So, how do you feel really about their questions? Like, 
an odd dejection. Right. And to, and to think that I'm obligated to educate you on my hair. Right, yeah. Like, that's the other thing. Like, it's like, I haven't asked you to talk to me about why, how it is that your family has four houses. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just really, like, not okay. It's very personal. You can say your hair's so beautiful, but I could not believe how many people, even people I'd known for years, like colleagues who didn't know that this was my hair. hair. And so for me, it's a reflection of how we have to know everything about white people. We always have, we've known everything about because of their world, we've known how to be in, in their world. We know what they eat. We know what, you know, their customs are, but they know nothing about us, but I'm not the best bet to ask because that puts pressure on me already when I'm in a primarily white institution. Um, and of course, what you say is they're going to remember that and it's going to transfer over to everything else. It'll be transformative for them, too. It'll be transformative for them because they'll think twice. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I might, because I have compassion for people, then I might say, listen, I mean, I don't mean to put you there, but like, seriously, mm-hmm. if you want to know about my hair, you should go Google and learn. It's supposed to ask me in front of a bunch of people about my hair. Right. Or... Now, can you wash it? So sometimes I'll do things like, mm, I don't have to wash it at all if I don't want to. You know, the thing it's about black hair, yeah, I'll say the thing about black hair is it gets drier where, you know, you have to wash your hair all the time or you'll be pouring oil and your hair won't move. Like, I'll do something like that. Very intentionally, again, like not to be an asshole, right? But just to be like, just to explain like, you know, like think about it. We're different, we're of different cultures, but I'm not asking you about how often you wash your hair. But even the fact that you're asking if I wash my hair is really pointing to you're questioning whether I'm clean or not, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a fear maybe around my hair or you know some assumptions about what you've heard about people with locks in their hair or comments like, I really like your locks much better than a lot of people who have those really big ones that like grow together, like your locks. Like I like how small they are and the way they move and I can see in your scalp is very clean. Like it just, it's very different. Like even that is a, a bit offensive to me because the compliment comes from, again, you have this idea that people that wear their locks freeform um, are dirty, Right. you know? And that's just, I've had white men who I've dated or who I've been close to friends, you know, mm-hmm. who say, oh my God, your hair smells so amazing. You know, yeah. will just want to like put their face in it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, it's not that weird because I know they do smell amazing and <laughs> I would take really care of it. And because of the element of like the attraction thing, it might've been okay. But it's just very interesting. The curiosity around sort of the national hair. Sorry. Oh no, it's good. Okay. Hold on. Helps me kind of think too, kind of brings to light some things, you know, because as you, as one thing in my life, people are saying you can't get a job and everything, and but if you do have lots, you really have to act a certain way and everything. So some things are kind of blind to me, I guess, but kind of just kind of train myself a certain way. But now I kind of started this project and thinking, well, it's not bad to have lots, and I do know people who do have them. I obviously can't get a job, so right. Yeah, so now I'm learning to be more, I guess, not necessarily comfortable, but comfortable being open about it and everything. So I'm talking yeah. about it. Yeah, I think that like um, 
So when I say about talking back and clapping back, understand that some of that comes with the fact that my age, but also that I have established a certain amount of respect in the industry, mm. right? And so when you perform well, you do your job well, mm. then it makes it even more like it's fuckery when someone's like, well, but you're here. Mm. You're like, what do you mean? I shut it down here. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Like, so it's also about, so I mean, clapping back comes with a certain amount of like, when you know you have a, a particular amount of respect mm -hmm. because you do your job well, right. right? You know that you're competent. Then it becomes about physical appearance. Like we got a problem, right? We got a problem. So I think that that's all process too, though. Yeah. I think. It's not like first day on the job, so I'm asking to right. go off on them. It's more so. Right. To know yourself, know your, where you are, your position in life. Have you seen, um, what's Issa Rae's show? Oh, Insecure. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. Do you not love it? Oh, yeah, that show was amazing. Season two is coming soon. Oh, yeah. I cannot even wait. Yeah. And I just remember, like, her boyfriend, you know, mm -hmm. when he moved to that job, I guess he had a job in Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. that new job. And I, I, I can't remember the episode because my memory's shot in general, but something about what you're saying, like, I'm thinking about his first day in, like, you got to kind of be a little, I think on his first day, it was all about, you know, just like being easy or whatever, but he left and he was sharing, you know, about his day. And I think, I, I can't remember exactly, but I think he might've like had seen some things and he'll be like, okay, eventually I'll, I'll address that. But like, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, I thought you were going to bring up that uh, episode with the law firm and that new hire. Oh yeah. She's kind of out there all over the place. But yeah. it's real, right? Yeah. And, and, and the idea that like, it, and I think this brings up a good point mm -hmm. because it's also this idea that like, don't come up in here like that. You're going to make us look bad. Like this idea that because of oppression, people tend to want to compare us, right? In, in, in particularly in primarily white institutions, they want to compare us. They want, uh, well, she's more this way than you. She's really loud, you know, but the girl was well-liked, you know, she was well-liked, but um, old girl was like, you know, upset about it, like, I think you're making us look like this. Because mm -hmm. she had played well into respectability, the other one. Right. The other sister came in there being authentic, and it worked in her favor. Right. Right? And so this idea that, like, we have to be the same is also problematic. Right? We all need to act the same. It's oppressive, basically. That's true. Yeah. But we take it on. We These are internalized ideas we have, right? We take this on, and it's very unconscious almost, just like the way she was doing that happens everywhere. You know, let me tell you about, let me tell you about how things go here. Right. You know, so you can do, you know, um, it happens everywhere. Right. So how do you know, like, kind of which path is for you? It's a process, I think. Um, there's no way to know until, you know, I think that, it, I think that most anything that you can know has to be experiential. Try for it to be, for it to, for it to lean anywhere towards authenticity. Like, mm -hmm. I think if you can read anything you want and follow those rules and whether it makes you feel real or whole, you know, or empowers your life in any way, shape or form is a whole nother thing. You can read something. This is how in innovation happens, right? Mm -hmm. You read these things and you're like, nah, not for me. nah, son, not it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very much the same way with that. You know, you, you kind of have to have the experience. And, and you know how it feels. And that's like me with the hair thing. Knowing that this isn't, I don't like the way this feels. You know, I don't like the way this feels. This perform, I can't, this is not feel right. 
you know, I'm shifting, you know, this way. And then I'm having to fend off this. And then I feel like crap and I, you know, guilty and, you know, whatever. Extreme because I'm extreme in general, but it, you know, my description of it, but it, right. hopefully you know what I mean. Oh yeah. Yeah. Come back to like these ratio insecure, then also uh, the movie Get Out and everything. I feel like there's more and more, I guess, more um, centered around black people, culture, and showing the difference in things. How do you? Yeah, I'm loving it. Unfolding? I'm really excited about it. What I loved most about Get Out, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a producer here, the one that I want you to meet, Travis Pearson. Travis Pearson. Just saw him. Isaiah and I went to go see the Tupac movie. Nice. Two nights ago, and Travis had set up. It was an early screening at the terrace, and there was a panel discussion also afterwards. What he does, oh, nice. he does really cool things like that, um, which is super progressive for Charleston, of course. Yeah. But he filmed. Um, he put together a film called America Street mm-hmm. that Isaiah and I also saw at um, Terrace a couple years ago for the film festival, the Charleston Film Festival, and Get Out puts me in the mind of that. And this is what I would say. I remember. Um, what I got from America Street is there were all of these people. It was actually sponsored by the Cooper School. No. Collegiate. The Collegiate. There's a private school out awesome. here. Charleston Collegiate. Collegiate. They sponsored this film. Yeah. And the screening. And so there were a lot of white people in the room. But this film <laughs> was inner city. It was North Charleston. The height. It was in these neighborhoods. It was in the studio with beats and breaks. It was all black. It was in the home. It was in grandma's home with her plastic on the couch and, you know, sitting with her grandson talking and catching up. It was so everything that a lot of black folks just know. We just know these things, but these white people didn't, which I was just tickled by the whole time. I was like, yes, bring them into the house because black people go into their homes to clean they go into their homes to, you know, they don't go into these homes in the height, mm-hmm. you know? And so what he did really effectively, I said, the way he shot it also, mm-hmm. the, it was like Get Out. Get Out was the only other film I saw shot like America Street, mm-hmm. where the, 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 the uh, camera was so tight that you saw every trickle of sweat, every bead of sweat on the face you saw. I said, you brought me so close to the characters I could smell their breaths. Mm-hmm. Okay, now because I love black men, I already know what that's like. I know what their skin feels like. I know what their mouths are like. I know, you know, all of this, but a lot of people don't. Right. And um, and Get Out did the same thing effectively. When they shot the brother in the chair, when he was bound and he was, you saw his teeth and you saw the tears and you saw the sweat and you saw it all. And I think that that was just so brilliant because the viewer couldn't leave the room. And you will have to humanize this person. You will have to see that the same exact things that you feel are what they feel because they are human and wonderful and lovely. And they are black and male. So the skin texture, it was just brilliant. And so I'm really excited about what we're seeing now with, like I was watching Chewing Gum last night. Um, You know, we've got Insecure. We've got... um, Clean Sugar, we've got um, Atlanta. Atlanta, oh my gosh, yes, I was so like, yes, because it was, 
the Atlanta, you know. So we have all of these wonderful reflections of the 8,000 ways to be black. And people have a choice as to whether they engage with the, you know, whether they engage with what, we, what we're putting out there. But I'm telling you, so many of us are celebrating because we're finding ourselves in it. We're seeing ourselves on the screen unapologetically, mm-hmm. which is life-saving. It is literally life-saving, I think. Like I said, I'm 40, so for me, I'm just like, I've been doing a lot of this work anyways, you know, with my degree, just like learning all this stuff, but especially for like the teenagers and the young adults, like I'm just like so happy because it's life-saving. It is life-saving to see yourself. It is, it is the way we know that we deserve power and respect. The same power and respect that other people have, we are worthy of. And when we see this and we know this can happen, oh, I can tell my story. I can t- say, I can show it all because it's art, because our lives are art. It saves lives. It saves lives. It gives people permission to be their authentic, true selves. You know? Mm-hmm. Like I posted the other day on Facebook, like the there was this great think piece on insecure and chewing gum on like the weird as fuck black girl. And I'm like, that's me. I'm weird as hell. Like, you know, like this, you know, just like how people can't understand that like we are so many things. We are more than just, oh, well, if you're black, don't you like it? I'm like, no, of course not. Mm. And I want to hear hip hop and have really good wine. You know, and like all of these intersections that we are because we're human. Right. And we're the result of all the cultures we've been, you know, in touch with and where we've lived and our parents and how they socialized us. Like, we're just so many things, you know. Yeah. You can like rock and roll and be black, you know, and you can like comment or like I pulled up bumping like old common, mm-hmm. <laughs> getting out the car just now up here and I saw something like, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, well, what does that mean? You know, like yeah. to be 40 and bumping common, like. Because we are complex and we are layered. And so what we're seeing is the fleshing out of our interior celebration of like everything we are, which is just magic. Thank you for joining us today. We're here to redefine professionalism by proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, if you like today's episode, please go find us on your favorite podcasting app to subscribe to our show so you don't miss the very next episode that is coming very soon. Um, you can search for Boss Locks. That is B-O-S-S-L-O-C-K-S. And you could also join our um, community by finding us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even LinkedIn. Uh, if you do a search for Boss Locks, that is B-O-S-S-L-O-C-K-S. Thank you, and we will see you next time.